Introducing the newest addition to the Sonos home sound system, the Sonos One. This smart speaker blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control your whole Sonos system. Connect it to a Sonos home theater system and tell Alexa to turn up the TV volume in the living room so you can hear a play-by-play -play of the ice hockey game while you're cooking in the kitchen. Amazing recovery on one ski. And this young lady again will take the podium. Head of Sean White, the shipper of the United States. Lindsey Vaughn, this is her chance now. Today in Pyeongchang, Sweden took the gold in women's curling, and Germany took the gold in four-man bobsled. And the host nation won its final two medals of the games today, taking silver in both curling and bobsled. That makes 17 for South Korea, their best performance in Winter Olympic history. And the games wrap up tonight with the closing ceremony when we'll say goodbye to a lot of first-time Olympic medalists. Chloe Kim, Red Gerard, Maya and Alex Shibutani. We also thought we'd spend our last episode in Pyeongchang talking to another Olympic first-timer. Nothing that can prepare you for it, and I think nothing that parallels to it, even the World Cup, which is such a big global event. Mike Tirico has decades of experience in sports broadcasting. But 2018 marks his first time behind the desk as NBC's primetime Olympics host. And when he stopped by our studio, I asked him what stands out when he looks back on the last few weeks in Pyeongchang. Number one will always be, for these games, will be U.S. women's hockey and that game against Canada. Uh, the time it was happening and having met some of the players here along the way, like uh, Megan Duggan and Hillary Knight, uh, the players who were a part of those last two Olympic experiences and uh, taking home a silver as opposed to winning a silver, a very big distinction. Uh, I, I think for me, that will be a memory that sticks with me, in part because of the 1980 U.S. men's Olympic hockey team. I, I thought it was... Um, poorly portrayed by some folks saying, oh, it's miracle on ice. This wasn't a miracle. That was a miracle in 1980 because that was a team of college kids. It was a very young team against this powerhouse from the Soviet Union at that time. The U.S. women's team has been right there with Canada as the best team in the world really for the last 12 years and has won more of the competitions, just haven't won at the Olympics over Canada in that gold medal game. But uh, that will last for me as uh, one of those defining things of the games. And I'll forever remember Esther Ledetska from the Czech Republic, who came out of nowhere to win an alpine race well after all the contenders had gone. And she's really a better snowboarder and won gold in the parallel giant slalom in snowboard. So she's won gold in the same games in two different sports. Extraordinary stuff. I mean, if you've skied or if you snowboard, you know that the other discipline is not easy. It's hard to do both, and to do both at a gold medal Olympic level, that will go down as one of the great feats in the history of the games, summer or winter, and we happen to you know get to see both of them. Without question. Why is the tradition of the Olympic Winter Games so important? I think to me, there's an intrigue to it because a lot of the sports people don't participate in, they don't watch during the rest of the four-year cycle. 
but they get brought in by the drama and the danger. If you consider curling is the only sport in the Winter Olympics that your feet are touching the ground. Every other sport, your feet are attached to a snowboard, a ski, or a variety of different types of skates. And on these skates, skis, and snowboards, you're on the most slippery of surfaces, in many cases on uh, something that's not flat, and you're trying to go faster than other people have ever gone before. And that's insane. So to me, there's a daredevil, I could never do this part of the winter games that's very appealing, whereas the summer games, everybody runs and swims and you know, play basketball and do many of those things at some point during their lives. So I think that's the appeal of the winter games. And still, to me, the overall Olympic appeal is still something special, even though the world is smaller and on my phone I can FaceTime somebody you know, half a world away and feel like they're right in the room, you still get 92 countries and about 3,000 athletes and thousands of others coming to one place every four years. Just doesn't happen anywhere else. Now, you've covered it all, the NFL, the NBA, the World Cup. How does hosting the Olympics compare? I don't think there's anything that compares to it. I think it's a very different set of stories you're dealing with, a very different set of uh, rules and competitions and perspective because it's every four years, plus the international nature of it. We're so used to the best in sports in our backyard in the U.S. If you want to play professional football or baseball, you pretty much come to the U.S. So we are used to seeing the best of the best in the world on our shores playing for our civic pride teams, Detroit, Chicago, Houston, Los Angeles, New York, here it's it's very different. Uh, it is that nationalistic feel. It's the uh, sensitivities and passions of different countries and all of it kind of thrown together at once. So there's nothing that can prepare you for it and I think nothing that parallels to it. Even the World Cup, which is such a big global event, it's one sport and it's 32 countries. You know, here we're triple that and the Winter Games is half the size of the Summer Games. Having now hosted it, what advice do you wish you had gotten before you got to South Korea? Uh, good question. I've been thinking about that myself. And I don't think it's advice. I think it's just the experience. Uh, I think I'm better doing the job on night 14, 15. I don't even know what night this has been uh, than I was on night one or two. And I think that's true with everything. I will say what, what is different about these games compared to the ones I really watched closely on tape, Vancouver and Sochi, has been being live. There is less time to do studio segments, feature pieces, or those types of things because you're live. And that's good because you know, we don't pay for the rights to tell stories. You pay for the rights to see the events. And that's good for the viewers. And we're just adjusting as we learn along the way as well about this. What was the first Winter Olympics you remember watching? And how different is this Olympics. Sure. I, I remember the Franz Klammer run in 76. I can't say that there's a lot of detail. I was about nine or 10 at the time. So I remember the Klammer run, uh, the downhill, which is one of the most famous calls of a, of a run or one of those famous uh, ski events, alpine events. Uh, Frank Gifford, who was doing Monday Night Football at the point, and Bob Beatty called the race. And actually, before Frank passed, we, uh, as a few of the people who've done Monday Night Football had a chance to spend some time around each other. And uh, Frank was able to tell me about that race and covering ski racing with Beatty and ABC's Wide World of Sports, which was pretty cool. But certainly for more deep memories, it would be 1980 Lake Placid. Growing up in New York City, 
Lake Placid's, you know, a three-and-a-half-hour drive from there. But the hockey game on a Friday night on tape delay, I remember Jim McKay coming on the air, and they had a street-side set in Lake Placid, and there was a window behind them, and everybody was going nuts. And I, you had a sense, if you could put two and two together, of what happened. And, uh, you know, it was a on tape delay. We didn't have Twitter. We didn't have cell phones. It was a different time. But those are my first Olympic memories for sure. 1980 Lake Placid deeply for the winter. Does this feel like a bigger production, which it, I assume yes. it is? 8,000 times. Just even watching, you go back to watch uh, in the 90s when CBS did the winter games in uh, 92 and 94 and 98, and even NBC's production as it's gone on, it just gets bigger and bigger. And the number of live hours uh, and the number of overall hours uh, just continue to grow. I and mean, we, we were on the air sometimes here for seven, eight hours at a shot live with live events and going from event to event. The production's bigger. I think the scope of what's done's bigger and also the quality of the production. Like if you watch bobsled, you don't know the sport and they're breaking it down so you understand, hey, in this curve, they're going 85 miles an hour and two-tenths of a second could decide the race and this much space, maybe, you know, b- between your thumb and your pinky, if you spread them out on your hand, that much space coming off a curve might be the difference in the two-tenths of a second that win you a gold medal or keep you off the podium. So we've been able to show those things, and I think that's far advanced now with technology giving us a chance to tell visual stories in a different way. Prior to the Olympics, there was a lot of, obviously, tensions between North and South Korea. Mm -hmm. Do you think the games have eased that at all? I think the games have given everybody an opportunity to address uh, chances of working together. Now, far be it for us to understand what's going to happen post-Olympics. But I remember, gosh, as recently as Christmas time, a lot of people were concerned. They'd say, are you going? Are you going to be okay? And you know, the games have been very comfortable to move around the country, to go to venues, to go to events. And I think a lot of that fear was removed when Thomas Bach, the IOC president, really was the driver in getting South Korea and North Korea to work together, to come into the stadium in that moment of unification, which is certainly one of the memories I'll cherish forever at these games. Watch the Korean women's hockey team play as they incorporated some players from the North Korean side to play with South Korea. Uh, Watch even North Korean ski in some of the Alpine events. I think it was a great opportunity. Now, Does that give them a foundation to have real conversations about denuclearizing the peninsula here? Who knows? That's, you know, probably out of our purview. But you would hope that sports has given an opportunity for longer peace and uh, better health and welfare for people. You know, North Korea, what's going on in North Korea probably isn't drastically different than when we all got here three weeks ago. But if the world can be a better place because of conversations that were held only because the Olympic Games were being held here in South Korea, then that's a hell of a story for sports. It really is. In sports, sometimes people laugh at it. It's not real. It's the toy shop. But if this gave us a chance to have a better, uh, more safe world to live in, it'd be a hell of a story we were all part of. We can only hope. I, I can't agree more. Now, lastly, and maybe most importantly, if you could compete in one winter event, 
Which one would you pick? There's no doubt it would be curling because that's the only event I can do. Uh, anybody who's ever seen me ski or get on, no, I I've become a great ski concierge when my family goes on a ski vacation because I'm so good at getting hot chocolate or getting everybody to the bottom of the hill. It's fine. I love it, but I just can't expose the rest of America to it at times, uh, let alone a snowboard or or the skates. Mike, thanks for coming in and joining us on the podium. It was a pleasure. This is the closest I'll get to any podium at the Olympics. (laughs) Same with me, I assure you. (laughs) know how useful Alexa is, but the whole experience has improved now that I'm listening through Sonos One. It's the newest addition to the Sonos Home Sound System and the premium wireless sound system controlled by your voice. I use it mostly for firing up music. Alexa, play me some Ed Sheeran. Within seconds, the room is full of rich, beautiful sound. Alexa, pause the music. I want to watch this bobsled run on TV. And now I'm listening to the announcers calling the race. The sound quality, seriously, the best my house has ever experienced. I'm not smart enough to tell you why it sounds so great, just that it does. And the Sonos app tunes all the speakers to the shape of each room. The last system we had made it hard to hear dialogue in movies. It got drowned out by action scenes. Not a problem anymore, thanks to Sonos One. It's been said that the best technology isn't just neat to have, it solves problems. That's what Sonos One has done for my family. Sonos is offering listeners of the Podium Podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. I'm Tom Ferry. As Mike Tirico said, one of the major stories of the 2018 games was the combined Korean women's hockey team. They went 0 for 5 here in Pyeongchang, but the crowd didn't seem to care about the score. At almost every game, the North Korean cheerleaders led the arena in that chant. Cheer up, cheer up, they're saying. My co-host Lauren Shahadi and I ran into the cheer squad late last week during the women's slalom event. We weren't expecting to see them there. We were waiting for a bus back to our studio. Several minutes went by with none in sight. So I asked two of the Olympic Winter Games staff, Kim Kyung-do and Pei Chun-jin, if our bus would be arriving soon. Pei said two words to me, North Korea. North Korea? What? I had no idea what he meant. He explained that the North Korean cheerleading delegation was coming to the event that the buses were delayed because of it. So our producer, Jonathan Hirsch, grabbed his microphone. Okay, we're rolling. I asked Pei for his thoughts about the presence of North Korea at the Olympic Winter Games. Every South Korean never have to talk with North Korean. Yeah. We cannot talk. We cannot talk. We don't have to talk with them. Selfie. You're not allowed. Yeah. Not at all. So he tells me that this encounter with North Korean cheerleaders will be a first for him. I have met first this time, uh, the uh, North Korean cheerleader, only by TV or magazine. It took all of us a few moments to understand what Pei and Kim were telling us. For the first time in their lives, and because of the Olympics, these two young men would be meeting a North Korean citizen for the first time. 
I noticed that Kim looked distracted, pensive. There was a lot on his mind. Surprised they uh, look same because because my father's generation was taught they have horns, devil, demon, demon, and they they kill ch children. But you know you know they are same people. Pei tells me most people he knows have a strong connection to North Korea in some way, even family. His grandfather had two sisters who lived in North Korea. Uh, so my grandfather always say uh, drinking, and I miss I miss my sister in North Korea, uh, but I can't meet again. So uh, very very sad sad about that. Moments later, the North Korean delegation drove up. First, a couple of unmarked security vehicles with tinted windows, then a bus. Out came a few dozen cheerleaders walking in pairs toward the Yongpyong Alpine Center. Their presence at the Olympic Games here has been noticeable, in no small part due to their attire. The cheerleaders all wore bright red tracksuits with white stripes down the side, big dark sunglasses covering their eyes. The cheerleaders passed us, two by two along the narrow strip of sidewalk. Some said, go North Korea. Others simply smiled and waved. I tried to keep an eye out on the two men as the cheerleaders walked by. Lauren recorded a video of the cheerleaders as they passed us. Hello. And in the corner of the video, you can see Kim waving at the cheerleaders with both hands. Some of them even waved back. After all the cheerleaders passed by, Kim sat inside one of the buses with us. It seemed to me that we'd witnessed something very special, a South Korean meeting a North Korean for the first time. But it's also something that has likely happened a lot over the past couple of weeks here in Pyeongchang. Here's our producer, Jonathan, talking to Pei. What was going through your mind when you saw those cheerleaders go by? What were you thinking? As for Kim, he seemed excited. The cheerleaders didn't seem to have horns on their head or anything like that. Yeah, they were pretty and um, some girls say hi to me yeah, and friendly. It's hard to say whether these Olympics will have any lasting impact on diplomatic relations between the two countries. But for some, the Games did provide an opportunity to meet on neutral ground. And in Kim and Pei's case, for the very first time. That's our final show from here in Pyeongchang. But we have another episode for you tomorrow. A look at the Paralympic athletes who start their competition on March 8th. Thanks to Golda Arthur, Bridget Armstrong, Jelani Carter, and Miles Yule for their work on the podium. Special thanks to Rebecca Chapman, John Howe, Eileen Sokol, Tess Quinlan, and Zach Kahn. And everyone at NBC Sports Group and Vox Media who's helped us put together this show each day. Our theme music is composed by Brandon McFarlane. Our show producer is Jonathan Hirsch. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger. Our executive producer is Nishak Kerwa. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC. 
and you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. I'm Tom Ferry. All right, so Sono speakers are super easy to set up, but if you just don't even want to bother with that, you can have someone do it for you for free. That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, Up and Running will have a trained expert deliver and set up your system. Absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select Up and Running at checkout if you qualify.